Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. God is saying, come with me on this journey to the promised land. Freedom, freedom. I'm going to make a great nation out of you guys. Along the journey, due to complaining, murmuring, and complaining, their hearts turned back to Egypt. They didn't trust God. They wouldn't stop talking in the sense of all the complaints. And naturally, their heart, which was once headed in this direction, turned this way. They made a U-turn against Christ, not for Christ. What's the condition of your heart? As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he shares with you the importance of doing a regular spiritual heart check. It's not always easy to keep our hearts in the right place. It takes discipline, work, and trust. Pastor James encourages you to keep turning to the Lord for all that you need, recognize the blessings He's given you, and trust Him for the things to come. Don't allow your heart to become hard by turning away from the Lord. Lean into the Lord. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 6 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. through the book of Acts, and we're picking up there today in chapter 6. Chapter 6, we'll pick up in verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. That's what you want. That's, that's what you want. Within a church, serving and all that stuff, full of grace or full of faith is another way it's translated. We'll take both. Full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedmen, that's a a synagogue of uh, former slaves is kind of what that is, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So just so you have an understanding of this, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. Synagogues in Jerusalem, there's not just one. There was one temple, yes, there were many synagogues, okay? There was somewhere around uh, 390 synagogues in Jerusalem alone, all right? So that's synagogues where individuals are, it takes 10 men to get together to start a synagogue. That's just in Jerusalem. So you might be thinking like, well, why do we have so many churches? Why can't all the churches just be one church and stuff? That's not a modern thing, okay? Uh, this has been happening for a while. There, there were different synagogues Why was it just these synagogues? Well, we see that they had commonality. We know why these guys were getting together. They're all from the same region. They all have the same experiences. And maybe they're drawn to whoever was leading that. It's not necessarily a bad thing. What's fascinating about this synagogue, and this is the one who is taking up issues with Stephen, was one very possible member of that synagogue. His name is Saul of Tarsus. Okay? He probably went to church at this synagogue. He is definitely a part of this story. He's definitely a part of this story. But he's from Cilicia, that region, and so more than likely he would have been a part of this synagogue. So these guys, they have an issue with Stephen, so they rise up and they're going to dispute with Stephen, but they could, not, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They can't, I mean, they, they can't 
come against them at all. I mean, this dude's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's just bringing it, and they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. And again, if, if the apostle, or I, I'm going to say the I'm going to say Paul, but if Saul of Tarsus was there, you know how powerful, powerfully that guy was. I mean, he was just, he's an intellectual guy. He knew how to, I, he knew how to uh, just read his writings. You can tell that the guy knew how to debate. But nobody could come against this guy named Stephen, full of wisdom, full of power, full of grace. He's just, I mean, just overflowing. I mean, and I, what I want to do is paint a picture for you is like this guy was a rock star, so to speak, within the church. I mean, just amazing, full of the Holy Spirit. Like the potential that's there with Stephen is just unheard of. He was the Apostle Paul before Paul showed up. They can't even do anything. They can't even bring anything against him. I mean, they, they can't debate with this guy. Verse 11 says, then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak, speak blasphemous words against, note the order here, Moses and God, okay? They're like, he's, he's talking trash about Moses and God. He's saying false things about Moses and God. They, they brought up these false charges, so to speak, kind of like what they did with Jesus, not too, not too, um, not too uh, long before this story came into place. So it wasn't that long ago where these same guy has similar charges against Jesus himself. So, so they stirred up the elders, or the, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, and they seized him, and they brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, or gazing, or glaring, or staring, however you translate that, their eyes are fixed on Stephen. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What should have been clicking in their brains is like, this sounds like Moses. When Moses spent time with the Lord and he came down off the mountain and his face was shining so bright that he had to like cover it up. He had to conceal it. They're witnessing this take place in their presence right then, and they are filled with hatred. They should be, th- and was he speaking against Moses? Yeah, kind of. The, their, their accusation is partially true, because he did show up, and he did say, yeah, Jesus has changed everything. The law is fulfilled. The law is fulfilled. There's a new way. There's a new way. The old, it's, it's been fulfilled by Jesus, and he, he did all that because we can never do that. We don't throw away the law, but Christ has fulfilled the law. They didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. So he was proclaiming what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done. So they are partially accurate in their accusation, but they're also as blind as can be. They don't get it. They didn't get it when Jesus was here saying all the same things, and they killed him. They didn't get it when John the Baptist had shown up on the scene, and they they were totally fine with him getting killed. And now they're, what we'll see at the end of this story, they have no problem killing Stephen. They're as blind as can be. Eyes are covered. Ears are clogged up. And here he is. His face is shining like an angel, and they don't get it. They just don't get it. So corrupted by greed, so consumed with pride, they can't even see that God's doing a, a tremendous thing in their, in their very presence. They can't, they can't see it. And they're... Their only way to respond is, we'll see 
It's just through hatred, right down to the fact that they're willing to chunk huge, massive rocks at this living being to take his life. Gladly willing to do that. So here you go, verse 1 of chapter 7. Here's your history lesson. Stephen, this is the longest speech in the book of Acts. Okay, now we're talking, I mean, there's a lot of verses here, but we're going to flow right through it because, look, we're going to go through half of Genesis. So basically from Genesis chapter 11 or 12 on all the way through, I mean, almost all of the Old Testament, okay? Uh, Here in a nutshell, this is a, a perfect thing. But this is Stephen who is before the council, and these guys should know all these things that he's about, to, he's about to throw at him. The high priest, who more than likely could have been Caiaphas himself, who presided over the, the, the hearing with Jesus, he asked Stephen, are these things so? Um, he's probably trying to break up that tension, because as Stephen's standing there and his face is just glowing, and everybody's kind of like, what's going on here? The high priest probably kind of steps in and is like, all right, all right, all right, is this true? Is this true? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. Notice his respect. He's addressing them with respect. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into that land I will show you, or that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God moved him, moved Abraham from there into this land in which you are now living. This is fascinating because they're like, listen, are you speaking against Moses? And he's like, why don't we just start from the beginning? Let me tell you, religious leaders, what your, nat- what your own heritage is. Because I think you guys have forgotten it, or maybe you just never really understood it. Let's go back to the beginning. We'll go, we'll go before Moses, because it actually started before him. He's like, let's talk about Abraham. Why don't we start there? And this is just off the cuff. This is spirit-filled Stephen talking to scholars about things they should know, I mean, like the back of their hand. This is spirit-filled and spirit-empowered. I mean, he's just like, he's not like, all right, hold on, let me get my sermon notes out here. He's like, no, no. Spirit just goes, boom. Here you go, Stephen. Don't worry about what you'll say. What's it, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke says that. Jesus told his disciples, he's like, don't worry about what you're going to say when you stand before the council. I'll give you the words. And here you go. He says, you know, with the land we're living now, God gave it to Abraham. Verse 5, he says, yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for, uh, inflict them for 400 years. That's down in Egypt. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him a covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. So it's like, here's how it all worked, here's how it all played out, okay? And they all know this stuff, and Abraham is like top dog for these guys, okay? So they're all with them. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know, we understand. Circumcision, that's a big deal for us. Verse 9, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him, Joseph, ruler over Egypt and over all its household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and, and our fathers could find no food. 
But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob and his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. Okay, so here's, he's setting him up. He's like, all right, so we got Abraham. Then we got our fathers. That's the 12. Uh, you remember how they hated Joseph, their own brother, right? They were jealous of him. Yeah, they sold him as a slave to Egypt. You guys remember that story, right? You remember that? Of course you do. All right, so he's just walking them through. He's like, remember, they rejected Joseph the first time he showed up. They rejected their brother. Joseph was on the scene. They were jealous of him, and they rejected him, okay? Good thing that the story doesn't end there. But they, the Lord was going to use Joseph being in Egypt to to be the savior of the world, so to speak. Verse 15, and Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So he's like, but they came back to Joseph. Now here's the whole key to this whole message he's giving. They rejected him the first time and they accepted him the second time. We know Joseph is kind of like a Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus. The Jews had rejected Jesus the first time, but they'll receive him the second time. They were going to receive him the second time. So not all is lost. Not all is lost. There, there still is hope, but he needs to expose to them the fact that, like, listen, you're just following in everybody else's footsteps. Joseph showed up. Our fathers rejected him, He's, and we got more. There's more to come. There's more, there's more on this list here. He says, but at the, as the time the promises, verse 17, drew near... Which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there uh, arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph, and he dealt truly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. So this is where Genesis had ended and Exodus began, okay? The nation of Israel is multiplying like crazy, and you have a new king, a new Pharaoh, who's like, listen, we got we to gotta enforce some population control. So just start killing their babies. Just start killing their babies. They're growing too fast. They're going to overtake us. The only way to do that, the only way to squash this problem is to kill, to murder their babies. That was instituted in Egypt. And they're slaves, and they're going to increase the labor and all that good stuff. It's not a good time for Israel. But God has a plan. He had a plan for them. He's got a plan for you. Verse 20, at this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight, or um, I think it's either the New Living Translation or the Message Bible says, he was the most beautiful baby ever. And you're thinking, no, my baby is the most beautiful baby ever. I'm just going to say, it says in the Bible, he was the most beautiful ever, okay? So your kids are beautiful. Um, however, there was something special about Moses, something significant about him. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him. You, you may or may not know that story. At some point in time, we as a church will go through Exodus, and you'll, you'll learn that story. But Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son, which is just unheard of because they're in Egypt. Here is Pharaoh's daughter. Her dad is the guy who issued the whole murder the babies, and now his own daughter is raising a Hebrew child in his house. Crazy. God's like, you want to set your rules? Set your rules. I don't have to abide by your rules. I don't want to abide by your rules. I make my own rules. I make my own. Praise God for that. Even when you live in a, an upside-down nation, God's like, ah, I got it. I got it. So 
trust him. You can trust him. They had to trust him. Moses' parents had to trust him. It says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds, which is, is absolutely fascinating if you know Moses at all, because his one, one of his, his arguments against God by being used by God as a mouthpiece was like, I can't talk. I can't communicate. You want me to lead your people. I have a, I have a hard time. Some people think he had a speech impediment, that maybe he had a stuttering problem. He's like, I can't speak in front of people. God's like, I got it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Speaking's not the only way to communicate, by the way. I think this really kind of points us to the fact that he was a brilliant writer, a brilliant writer. Most of, you know, those first five books, most of that is recorded to you through the pen of Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was, a, he was brilliant. The guy was smart. The guy was really smart. But his words and deeds... He's grown up in the house of Pharaoh, educated under the Egyptian school system there, okay? E-I-S-D, right? Egyptian Independent School District there, okay? It says, verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came to, into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now, if you don't know that story, it's, it's funny in the sense that he, he did the thing that we always do. He sees something happening, shouldn't be happening, and so he looks to his left looks to his right, nobody's watching, and he takes the guy out, never bothering to kind of look up, like to see like, God is, should I do something? Should I? He didn't do that. So yes, he was going to be used by God as the deliverer, but not in his own strength, not in his own power, okay? But he takes it into his own hands. He struck down the Egyptian. He killed this guy. Verse 25, he, sus- he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand so in one sense, and we'll see just in a second, they reject him. He's like, don't you guys remember? Abraham showed up, and that's where our fathers, our fathers came through his line. And, and then Moses, this guy you just accused me of uh, being blasphemous against, we rejected him. We as a nation rejected our hero. The first go-around, they didn't embrace him. Look, it says, it says the following day, verse 26, he appeared to them as they were, as two of them were quarreling or fighting amongst themselves and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, why are what, you are brothers? Why do you wrong each other? Why are you fighting? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside and saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Well, God did. But, I, you know, he didn't start off right, but yeah. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? He's like, Yeah, right. He's like, Yeah, Moses, I saw you take that guy out. I saw you take that guy out. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, my goodness, the guy's already 40 years old. I just turned 40 this year. And I think like 40 years old, my goodness, 40 more years learning how to be a shepherd out in the wilderness is what he had. Forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look, and there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send 
you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and judge, and a judge, this man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, wonders and signs, that's what I've been doing, but it's not me, it's God, and my, my face is shining just like his, but you guys want to hate on me, that's fine. He led in, in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 more years, this poor guy, Moses. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Speaking of Jesus, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount, Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. This is Moses and, and you know, the word that was given to him. Our fathers refused to obey him but thrust him aside, just like they did at the beginning, and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. So he's like, uh, let's, let's just have a recap of our history here. You guys want to put Moses on a pedestal? That's fine. But um, don't you remember, our forefathers hated this guy. They hated Moses. They hated the fact that he drugged them out of Egypt where they were slaves for 400 years, the worst conditions ever, and in the midst of this wilderness wandering, which was due solely on them, it lasted as long as it did because of them, they didn't want to trust God. They didn't want to believe God. And they blamed Moses for everything, for everything. They refused to obey him. And in their hearts, they turned back not to Egypt, to the world. Egypt is a representation of the world. God is saying, come with me on this journey to the promised land. Freedom, freedom. I'm, I'm going to make a great nation out of you guys. Along the journey, due to complaining, murmuring, and complaining, their hearts turned back to Egypt. They didn't trust God. They wouldn't stop talking in the sense of all the complaints. And naturally, their heart, which was once headed in this direction, Turn this way. They made a U-turn against Christ, not for Christ. They longed for Egypt. They, all they talked about, if you know the story, read through it sometime this week. All they talked about were the food that Egypt had. Remember the leeks and the cucumbers and all this stuff. Remember the good food we have. And all we have is this miraculous food that God provides for us each and every day. Manna, it's frosted flakes, basically, that, that shows up on the ground and quell. They're like, can you believe this? Here God is working this incredible miracle, feeding millions of people every single day, and all we can think about is that good old familiar spot back in the world. Man, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back and be a slave. I wish I could go back and be mistreated. I wish I could go back where they were wanting to murder my babies. That's what you want? Is that really what you want? Because let's, let's be real, that's what it is. Don't be deceived by the enemy thinking that those former days and that former life was actually better than what it is, because it's not. Death rules and reigns over there. You keep marching with your heart set on Jesus and the plan that he has for you. You can't go back. You cannot go back. It's death. It's death. Let me help you by pulling the wool off of your eyes, the, the blinders off your eyes. It's death. It's death. It's bondage. But that's all they did. That's all they did. And I get it. It's hard to trust God. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless.
How incredible to learn about the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of the apostles within the early church. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us in this study through the book of Acts. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more from Pastor James, feel free to visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. We'd also love to hear from you. So would you let us know how you've been blessed by Bread for the Broken? You can drop us a note through the contact page on our website. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. So for directions, service times, and to learn more about us, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we encourage you to read ahead and to begin to study the book of Acts on your own. Although it may seem unrelatable because it took place thousands of years ago, that couldn't be further from the truth. God is still living and active today, and His Spirit is present and seeking those who believe. And if you let Him, God can do incredibly powerful things through you for the kingdom. So the question we'll leave you with today is, will you say yes to what God is doing? And will you trust in Him to move today just as He did all of those years ago? There's still so much to learn from the book of Acts, but that's all the time we have for today. Join us again next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.